close. We're going to be back in Mark, back in Mark chapter 8. Beep, 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 beep. All right. Let me get all my stuff here. Mark chapter 8, and we're pretty much just going to pick up where we left off from this morning. We really had just one point this morning. It was deny yourself. I think we probably drove that home enough, and now we will just keep on going in the text. So if you have your Bible, we're in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Now remember, there is a misconception on who Jesus is. For the first time in the book of Mark, a man has said that Jesus is the Christ. It has been said by demons already in Mark, but for the first time, a man has recognized that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. However, they don't quite realize exactly what that means. And so to remove the veil, if you will, Jesus calls all the crowds, all the crowds, all the followers, all the disciples, the ones who have made a decision, the ones who are thinking about making a decision, he calls them all into his presence, and he begins to tell them what he expects out of his followers. And I just believe that's important. If you're going to follow something, you need to know what's expected of you. There's, there's no room to follow Christ and not realize what that means. We've got a world full of people, 75%, as I said this morning, of Americans who claim to be followers of Christ, and many have no real comprehension of what that means. They believe that as long as I am at least on level with culture, then I'm doing okay. But I want to tell you, according to the Scriptures, there should be a big difference in us and in culture. And so he begins to lay it out. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Lord, we come again tonight, and I ask that you will be with us. I ask that you will speak through your word. I ask that you will challenge us and you will show us what needs to change in our life. Lord, if there's one tonight, even on a Sunday night crowd, who has not truly surrendered their heart and their life to you, I pray that tonight will be the night, God. I pray if there's others of us who need to put it in gear, God, Need to, need to change some things. Lord, I pray we'll be willing to do that today, and we will live a life that counts. In Jesus' name, amen. We come this evening, and the text picks up, and it says, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. This morning we talked about self-denial. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And the next step on that is, and let him take up his cross. 
You see, it builds upon the previous. If you're not willing to deny yourself, you will not be willing to sacrifice yourself. But once you're willing to deny yourself, then you move up to being willing to sacrifice yourself. And so he says, I expect you to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. When you think about the cross in our culture, what do you think of? Many times the cross is nothing more than a fashion accessory or a piece of jewelry. It's often worn, but it is seldom born. It's something that we put on our t-shirt and we walk around with a cross or we have a, a ring with a cross in it or we have a cross necklace and we walk around as though it is this great testimony upon the Lord in our life. And it can be. It can be a testimony to remind you about what the Lord has done for you and for me. But when the Bible speaks of carrying your cross, he's not speaking of a t-shirt He's not speaking of a piece of jewelry. He's not speaking of a, a military conquest. Maybe you think of uh, the Victorian cross or the Iron Cross. Or many people talk about the cross that they bear. I've got to bear this cross. And they're talking about a, a family problem or a financial problem or a health problem. I'm bearing this cross as I go throughout my life. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the opposition and the oppression that comes from those who are opposed to the faith and they are opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about bearing the pains of life. The cross in this day was an, a symbol. It was a symbol of, of death. It was a symbol of the, the absolute worst kind of death that you could imagine. It was a symbol of, of shame. It was a symbol of cruelty. It was a symbol of pain. It was a symbol of dehumanization. It, it was a symbol of the Roman oppression in which they hated with all their might. The cross was often reserved for the very lowest socially. It was reserved for the slaves. It was reserved for those who had no power. They had no rights. They had no opinion. And so they would nail them to the cross. And the day that this was written, Nero was, was very, very close, and he would crucify the Christians. And it would not be something that was done in private. They would crucify Christians in public. And so the people would be walking up the street, and they would see men hanging on a cross with the blood pouring out of their body as they breathed their last. And they would be reminded of the power of Rome. And so when they visioned the cross, they had a different perception than what we have. Crucifixion was described as a cruel, disgusting penalty, the worst of extreme tortures inflicted on slaves and something to be dreaded. And by requiring the followers to carry their cross, Jesus expects them and he expects us to be willing to join the ranks of the despised and the doomed. They must be ready to deny themselves even to the point of giving their life. 
The cross is central to the gospel message. And if you follow Christ, he expects you to follow and obey. Jesus does not expect to come into your life and make modest changes. That's what we do a lot, isn't it? We say, well, I'm going to change this one little spot. And I'm going to change this one little spot. That's not what Jesus says. He says, if you want to truly be my follower, I want all of you. I want you to deny your complete self, and I want you to be willing to die because you were so committed to me. You're so committed to what I'm asking you. It's not about an adjustment. It's not about seeing if it fits your life. It's not about coming to church and seeing how you can build your life better. I probably shouldn't say this. This last week, there was a church that I heard of, and I heard the church is just growing rapidly. Okay? And so I'm thinking, I want to see what they're doing. You know, if a church is growing, so, so I looked up the website, and I listened to this man preach. I heard one sermon, so this may not be a, a fair look at how he preaches. But for 35 minutes, I never heard a single Bible verse. And for 35 minutes, he talked about how we can better ourselves emotionally, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Jesus did not come and live and die so that we can be good emotionally. There's more to it than that. It's not so that we can go through life and we can better our self-esteem. Now, nothing wrong with that, but there's more to the gospel than bettering our self-esteem or bettering our emotional outlook. What Jesus does is he comes and he says, if you want to follow me, then here's the cross. Strap it upon your back. He doesn't say, come on and, and put it on your shoulder and see if it fits. Let's see if this size fits you. That's not what he says. It's a one-size-fits-all, and it's for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, strap it on. He doesn't ask for volunteers who want to carry the cross for extra credit. It's not one of these things that if you want to be a Christian, just go through life. But if you want to be a super Christian, then carry the cross. It's not what it is. He says, if you want to be my follower, it is required that you carry my cross. You see, and by doing so, it separates the disciples from the crowd. Man, that is, that is so missing in today's church. And do you know why? Because we are so driven by the crowds. We've got to have the crowd. We've got to have the numbers. And we judge our success and our failure based upon the number of people before us. But when the Lord comes, he's trying to divide it out. He's preaching hard to them. And he says, look, if you want to follow me, you can't just be on the sidelines. You've got to be in the game. You've got to be willing to carry your cross. And you know what happens? Many go home at that point. They say, I can't do it. It's too much. The cost is too high. You must become like Jesus, obedience in life and obedience to death. The admirers may acknowledge him as the Messiah and even as the Son of God, but they dig their heels in when he calls them to follow him down a path that may lead to martyrdom. Sorry, tongue-tied right there. Most Christians today, we look at this, and it's, it's kind of out there, isn't it? Because we don't live with the physical danger. We haven't seen a crucifixion. 
We don't see people that are scared to go to church because someone might come in and take them and put them in prison. But he's saying, are you willing? If it came to it, if it happened, would you stay committed? If it happened, would you stay true? Is your devotion so high that you would stay faithful to the Lord? You say, well, how do I know? Well, look at it in situations that we do, we do struggle with. How easy is it for us to make a stand for Christ when people might make fun of it? How easy is it for you to be bold about your walk with the Lord? How easy is it for you to share your faith when, when someone might not approve of it? Are, are you still willing? Are you willing to make a stand? It's all about making a stand and going against the crowd for Jesus. Luke says it like this. He adds one thing in. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He adds that word daily because it is constant. It may be that today we're willing to carry our cross, but when we wake up tomorrow, we wake up and we get out of bed, we've got to again be willing to carry our cross. And the next day, we must be willing to carry our cross. And the next day, we must be willing to carry our cross. And the next day, we must be willing to carry our cross because it does not get easier tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And then Jesus gives four statements Four statements on the meaning of discipleship, and they all cling to the first. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then there are four statements. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. That's number one. Number two, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Number three, for what can a man give in return for a soul? And number four, for whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Let's look at the first one. The first one, we see an obvious paradox. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. The word here for life is the Greek word psyche. Psyche, it can mean your physical life, but most of the time it goes deeper than that. Most of the time it's talking about our being. It's talking about our soul. It's talking about our personhood. Now, he talks about carrying your cross and that can obviously lead to the end of our physical life, right? We carry our cross, it's talking about our physical death. But now he's talking greater than that. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. If you're so bent in life on saving your physical life, it means that you're not paying attention to the eternal life. And so what good is it if you go through life and you save your physical life, but you lose your eternal life? What good is it in your life if you go and you try to be so secure? And in our world, the way that we find security is through money, isn't it? You feel secure when you've got money in the bank and you can pay the bills and you can live through retirement. 
He says, what good is it if you've got all this money in the bank and you go through life and you pay all the bills and you've always got food on the table, but you lose the life that matters? What good is it for you? Was it really a wise decision? You see, the call of Christ is an exclusive one. He says, I want all of you. I want every bit of you. You cannot make these compartments in your life. Anybody ever struggle with that? What, here's what I mean by it. You want to you put Jesus in the Sunday morning compartment, right? Why? Because we're in church, and it's good to look spiritual. So, Jesus, you're in the Sunday morning compartment, and you're back on a Sunday night, so let's put Jesus in the Sunday night compartment. And maybe you come back to church on Wednesdays, and so we schedule Jesus in on the Wednesday night compartment. But what about tomorrow morning when you go to your job? Is Jesus allowed in that compartment of your life? When you go to your job, do people look at you, and do they see that you are living a life for Jesus? What about when you go home and you're with your family? Maybe we should ask our family, shouldn't we? Family, do I look like Christ when I'm at home? What about when things don't go your way? What about when you're having a bad day? What about when you get bad news in your life? Are you still one that looks like Jesus? He goes on, he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul, to save one's life and to lose it. Look, look over at Luke chapter 12. If you got your Bible, go ahead and flip over. Luke chapter 12, beginning around verse 13. I believe in Luke chapter 12, we get an illustration of exactly what Jesus is talking about. Look at Luke chapter 12, probably around verse 15 here. Jesus tells a parable, and he says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, he's talking to himself here, I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. And so what are you going to do with life? Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This morning we talked about the American dream. This man has reached it. I've got all the money. I've got all the goods. I tore down my barns. I built larger barns. And now I can just coast through life. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. I'm going to coast through life. I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm going to be merry. But then God had something to say. Isn't that always the way it is? God's got something to say in the midst of our plans. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He worked it all out so that it all came just in a beautiful picture. He's got all the money. He's got all the wealth. He's able to live his life to the fullest. All he's got to do every day is eat, drink, and be merry. If he wants to go play golf, you know what he does? He goes and plays golf. If 
he wants to go to the steakhouse, you know where he goes? He goes to the steakhouse. Anywhere he wants to go, that's where he's able to go. And he thinks to himself, he says, man, life is good. I have reached it. I have arrived. Everything looks good in my life until God comes in and takes his life. And then he has wasted it all, and it says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what profit, for what good is it, what profit is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What good is it, my friends, if you've got all the world has to offer, but you miss Jesus? I was able this week to meet with a guy. Um, it, was, it was on Tuesday, and I got this phone call, and I, I had a guy, and he said, hey, can you meet with somebody? And I said, well, when? He said, well, like right now. And I'll be honest, at first I was like, man, I, think, I just don't have time right now. I've got all these matches I've got to deliver, and I've got a meeting coming up. But, but I thought about it. I said, yeah, I can meet if you come right now. And so they came, these two guys came, and this fellow, he sat in my office, and this is a man that is very, very successful, very successful. And anybody would look at him and say, this man has reached it. He has got everything you could want in life. He's reached it. People would be jealous of his life. And the man, he sat across from me on the couch, and he said, you know what it is? I'm just not happy. And a grown man, a grown successful man, and he began to weep. And tears began to roll down his face. And he said, I've got all this stuff, but my marriage is, is falling apart. And I, I, I keep trying to fill this void in my life. I keep trying to fill it, fill it up, and I think if I go after this or if I find more success or if I, I just work, 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 it's going to fill the void. But he said, I'm finding that it never does it. It never satisfies. It never quenches. A man that's got the whole world at his fingertips, but yet he is empty inside. He's got everything that you could want, but yet when he goes home at night, he is empty and we, we, we talked together, and I was able to share the gospel with him. Share the gospel, spare, share the truth with him. And then these two guys, they got up, and they walked out. And I, I thought, well, maybe that's the end of it. I got a text from him later on in the day. And he said, you know what, I just want you to know, I've decided to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I, I've decided I need to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I talked to him the next day, and the next day he was back with his wife, and he's working on bringing his marriage back together, and he's trying to build it on the principles of God. And we could go through story after story after story, and we could talk about how the world does not satisfy. I, I read this this week. It goes back to a great Roman emperor. And he said this, he said, I have everything and everything is nothing. A little urn will contain all the remains of one for whom the whole world was too little. There's a, there's a book that's written, it's called Therapy. And the main character is asked to sit on a couch and he's asked to make two columns. 
a list of the good things in his life and a list of the bad things in his life. And so he begins to list the good things, and he says, professionally, I'm successful. I'm well off. I've got good health. I've got a stable marriage. My kids are successfully launched into life. I've got a nice house. I've got a great car, and I've got as much vacation as I could want. And that's all on the good side. Sounds good, doesn't it? And then on the bad side, there's just one little writing, and it says, I'm never happy. I'm never happy. I'm never satisfied. I'm never content. It's never enough. It looks like you ought to be on top of the world, but it's never enough. And we can look to celebrities, can't we? And we can see where there are celebrities, and they've got all the world has to offer, but yet there's another drug overdose, or there's another suicide, or there's another battle with depression. Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. I love that parable. This is what it's saying. We're going to close up quickly. No, we've got a party to get to. Here's what it's saying. It says, A man's going through a field one day, and he finds and he locates a treasure. Nobody else has seen the treasure, but he sees the treasure, and he recognizes the value. And so he runs to his home, and he begins to try to sell everything he's got. You ever done that? He puts out a for sale sign. I've got a garage sale. I've got an estate sale. Whatever it is, come and get it because it is for sale. And maybe a friend comes up and says, why are you selling all your stuff? He says, well, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to buy that field. And the friend looks over, he says, you're going to buy that field. Yep, I want that field. The friend says, that field is worthless. There's nothing good in that field. Why would you sell everything you've got to buy that worthless field? And the man looks at him and he says, I'm going to buy that field because I know the treasure inside of it. And he goes and he purchases the field. You see, as we follow Christ, there are going to be many times that people look at us and they say, you're crazy. The field's not worth it. Why would you do that? Why would you come to church on a Sunday night? Why would you keep giving sacrificially? It makes no sense. Why would you do that? Why would you base your whole life on self-denial? Why would you be willing to carry your cross? And as Christians, we look back and we say, because we know the treasure. We know the treasure. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he is worth it. And so we're willing to go all in because of it. Not holding the chips back, but being pushed all in. Then there's one more that he's got. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, sounds like us, doesn't it? The generation we live in. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's kind of the climax right here. He says, here, here you go in life. You're to deny yourself, and then you take up your cross and follow me. And if you do that, your life's going to count. If you do that, you won't waste it. Because listen, if you go through life and you're ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed of you also. I wonder, in your life, are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Or are you willing to take a stand? 
Are you willing to change your life because you know that he's worth it? There's people all the time when they want to follow Jesus, but they want to follow from a distance. They want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to go all in on it. They want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to pay anything. They want to follow Jesus, but they want their life to continue as usual. And what Jesus is saying is this, you just can't do it. If you're going to follow me, you've got to go all in, because if you don't go all in, you're not a true follower of mine. And he goes, and we're going to close with Luke 14. It's where you consider the cost. He says, for which one of you, this is Luke 14, 28, for which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. And they say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and talk whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still a great way out, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And here's what he's saying. You want to follow me? You better, you better count the cost on it. You better understand what he's asking. What man goes out and builds a house and doesn't first decide if he's got money to complete the house? What king goes to battle and does not think for a moment and say, can I be victorious in this battle? And in the same way, what man, what woman says, I'm going to follow Christ without realizing what that even means? To follow Christ means we deny ourselves, means we take up our cross. And right here it says, so therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Close your eyes and think about it. I know it's been, it's been tough today. I, I promise you it's tough just on me. And so I, I preach what's tough on me because it's what I need. But think about it in your life. Does your commitment level match what Jesus requires? The way that you're committed, does it match what Jesus requires? You see, some of us, we're sitting here, and if we're honest, we're not even committed enough at times to read our Bible for five minutes in a day. If we're honest... We're not committed enough to have a deep prayer life on a daily basis. If we're honest, we're not committed enough at times to change the station on the television. If we're honest, some of us in here, we're not willing enough, we're not committed enough to take a stand for Christ when he leads us to do so. And the calling is high. Now, now, it doesn't mean we don't mess up. Don't get the wrong impression. It doesn't mean that we do everything right. It doesn't mean that, that we're just perfect. But it means that we're striving to live a life of self-denial. We're striving to live a, a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my question is, how hard are you going after Jesus? How hard are you pushing to make sure your life counts? 
How hard are you pushing to make sure your life is not in vain at the end of it? How much does it matter to you that your life counts? And then what are you going to do about it? As you look at your life and you see ways that, that, that you're not honoring and glorifying God, are you willing to change it? Are you willing to make changes, to put the cross on, to practice self-denial? Lord, we thank you for this time again. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. Lord, I pray tonight that we will be willing, God. We'll be willing to do what you ask of us, knowing that we are not perfect, but, Lord, that we will try.